Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond Talking Points with Matt and Matt. Um, we uh, listened to an episode of Very Bad Wizards. Um, it was an interview with, uh, well, the second half of the episode was an interview, was an interview with Paul Bloom, who, if uh, you guys didn't know, wrote a book. I think it was called The Case Against Empathy. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, that very bad wizards episode, but we're hoping to expand the conversation to how, you know, empathy might affect, um, one's moral or political outlook. Um, I sense you want to jump in here quickly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because sometimes we like to have timely conversations and sometimes we like to review movies from 13 years ago and listen to podcasts from eight years ago. <laughs> but I, I, I would just note like, um, we, 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 we talked a lot about democracy and we've also talked a lot about decision-making and knowledge problems and like all sorts of things. And I weirdly like had some, something hit me where I remembered the, this random Paul Bloom interview and I'm aware of the book. I haven't actually re read it. I think it is just against empathy. Um, and there's just something there where it's like thinking about what problems come up in decision-making and societal structures and like certain types of leadership decisions. Um, so I thought it was something that maybe I since um, I, I, we kind of phased into last week talking about some of our like kind of core disagreements and we got a little bit more in depth there. But instead of having a conversation about like, oh, we just disagree on principles, it's like, well, this is maybe a better frame to understand things that happen in the world on like a broader level. Um, is there is there a thing that we'd want to start with or maybe should we just like kind of start with the broader conclusions that Paul Bloom puts forward? I was thinking of just going over what I thought about Paul Bloom's conclusions. Um, I think I mostly agreed with him, actually. Um, and I, I, I mean, this is sort of, I mean, I think this is obvious. Maybe some people would disagree, but um, it's very obvious, particularly like in the political realm, that um, people's, uh, people's moral framework is greatly swayed by their emotions, by their emotional reactions to things. Um, so uh, <clears throat> one example that like really annoys me is, um, I think I was, I was watching like the Democratic National Convention um, back before the presidential election. And um, of course, gun control came up. And I think they uh, there was a segment, I wanna say it was like maybe the mother of a, someone who died in a school shooting or it was someone connected with an actual school, school shooting. Um, and, and, uh, you know, she was just talking about how, um, it was just a very emotional, like plea to like, you know, imagine if your child, you know, <laughs> died in a school shooting, imagine how that would make you feel. Imagine, how, you know, how devastating that would be for your community, for the school, for, for their classmates. Um, and I mean, my opinion on, on gun control in general has just changed, but even regardless of your opinion on gun control, I think it's, uh, sort of absurd for people to, um, try to play with my emotions like that and then say, and we, and, 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 and then use that to justify, uh, a policy. Um, if you're going to try to justify a policy to me, then I really expect you to try to put forward the strongest argument possible. Um, but that's sort of why moral philosophy is uh, 
I don't want to say useless, but well, pr you could almost, practically speaking, you could almost say it is useless because moral philosophers don't really change the world. People don't really, uh, uh, you know, think very long, long and hard about, um, I think their moral framework, they sort of just go based on instinct, um, or what their parents or, or, you know, culture broadly tells them. So that's why it's like, um, uh, I remember somebody asking me once, um, what I would do if I were presented with the trolley problem in real life. Um, <clears throat> and I sort of think that's, I mean, it's an interesting, like, thought experiment but in in reality like i couldn't tell you know i couldn't tell you what i would do in that situation i don't think anyone could really tell you what they would do in that situation because in that situation i don't think you're really going to be sitting down and thinking to yourself okay you know should i really sacrifice this one person to save four like i don't really don't think you're going to do the utilitarian calculus in your head you're just going to probably going to be freaking out or you'll just kind of make a snap decision on whatever feels right in the moment um and that's sort of, I guess, you know, connected to what Paul Bloom is saying. Um, he, he's saying that empathy uh, can mislead us. Um, I mean, he, he, he's not saying empathy should never, like, is, he's not even saying empathy is bad, but he's saying that empathy can mislead us, particularly when we're talking about things like uh, public policy. Um, so it's like foreign aid. Um, a lot of foreign aid programs actually end up hurting um rather than helping but um you know people feel good to give money to this charity or to this foreign aid because uh, they feel like oh i did something then you know they've washed their hands of the matter they can sleep well at night knowing or thinking that they saved some you know <laughs> child in uganda um or another example that comes to my mind and uh this is a famous Joseph Stalin quote, but this is basically what Paul, Bo Paul Bloom was saying in, in the interview. Um, Stalin once said, uh, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. And another thing, another way uh, Paul Bloom would say empathy misleads you is by saying, or it, 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 it's, it's not uh, something that really scales up. It, you can only really be empathetic to maybe, you know, on an, to an individual or to a small group of people but when it comes, when there's more and more people involved, you, your ability to empathize with them significantly decreases. Um, and I think the example, I don't know if he, get the, he, he gave this example in the episode, but I listened to a short lecture he gave along with the episode. And he said um, that if you like tell people a story about like some, you know, girl who's some little girl who's like going to die of some illness um, whatever, like, like no matter what the doctors do, she's going to die. But there's also something, there's a procedure that could be done that prolongs, that either, either prolongs her life or like just makes her life in that moment more bearable. Um, and she's, but she's like not going to get it, you know, in this little thought experiment, she's not going to get it because there's a bunch of people, you know, uh, ahead of her in the, on the, on the waiting list. Um, but a lot of people like, Kind of, I guess sort of when you ask them what they should do, like should this little girl get the treatment in front of other people? Many people are, uh, were inclined to say, well, yeah, we should give that little girl the treatment. But then you're sacrificing or then you're saying the people in front of her shouldn't get the treatment. And so they're going to die. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, in, 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 in short, I, I think I think empathy is often a good thing 
on an individual basis. Um, but you shouldn't be, I don't think you should be empathetic reflexively, or I don't think you should just be empathetic and not take other things into account. Um, sometimes, and, and in fact, the funny thing about empathy, I think is, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be the nicest person in that moment. Like sometimes empathy could lead you to be a bit rude or abrupt or seemingly cruel. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not being empathetic. So, uh, 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 you know, um, I guess to, to, uh, to add one more point, um, to, to connect it to good old Frederick Nietzsche, um, he gives this little, I think it's in a letter of his. I don't know if I told this story. I'm sorry if I did. Stop me if I did. But in, in a letter, he like gives this uh, idea or, or he talks about like someone like uh, you live in a log in a log cabin um, and there's a friend of yours. It's like banging on the door wanting to be let in. And, like there's a fire in your log cabin. It's very cozy. It's in the middle of a snowstorm and your fr friend's banging on the door <laughs> wanting to be let in. And Nietzsche's like, sometimes you, you know, open the door, you let them in, you put a blanket around them, you set, you set them in front of the fire. Uh, and sometimes you leave them out in the cold just to bang, bang on the door and suffer. Um, that, that's sort of, uh, I think, uh, uh, what Paul Bloom would say. Um, empathy is not bad, but empathy isn't always, isn't always the correct response. And it's not always effective um, when you want certain results. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of this brings back part of the conversation we had last week when I was saying like everything has a degree and and this is something that in that conversation on very bad wizards they kind of got into a little bit about like what time like, like like some people are more empathetic to animals right and that's why they're vegans because they've seen animals in pain and they know that when they eat meat it's like you killed an animal um so some people are more sympathetic to other things and that's kind of like it's, it's when, when I think about what Paul Bloom's putting forward it's almost like you have to acknowledge that none of it's black and white. And if you take out the moral evaluations, it is much stickier, but it's almost kind of what, what, what the thing he's getting at is if you're thinking about certain types of important decisions like public policy, if empathy is the driver of it, it's likely to be, it's likely to be misguided. And the reasoning is because a lot of things go into say good public policy. Um, so I, I hate to bring this up because I know it, it'll trigger people probably who listen, but um, there, there's that somewhat famous uh, comment Ben Shapiro is famous for saying his catchphrase, which is facts don't care about your feelings, right? And then you can hear that and you can think like, that's the dumbest thing ever because like, what is he really even trying to convey there? But a point that he's like constantly kind of hammered home is, is if empathy is your number one overriding rule, then you're going to end up with bad policy. And that's something that I could like strongly defend because empathy is almost a justification for identifying a problem, but identifying a problem isn't always as tied to the solution in the obvious way you would expect. Um, so that's where I think Paul Bloom is kind of getting at. So you, you can have people who feel bad for poor people out of like empathy, right? You, you can even politically drive that type, those types of feelings. And then, um, when you go to the policymaking stage, the policy that's put forward isn't actually good policy. It's popular, right? Because people are empathetic to that position and they, you know, are sympathetic to the things that it's supposed to fix, but it doesn't actually mean that the plan will fix those things, right? So 
that's what you know Ben Shapiro gets at when he says that kind of tacky catchphrase. He's getting at just because you wanted to fix this problem doesn't mean it will, right? And that that that's what is my kind of takeaway from this whole argument about when is empathy helpful, when is it not helpful, and how can it be used against us? It's almost like it's a part of human nature that we have to reckon with, and everybody kind of associates empathy with good things like kindness, but he's kind of saying there is this back side of it, right? This can have bad consequences if we aren't careful, because if we get too empathetic, you know, or we lean too much in on the identifying what the problem is, we aren't going to make sure that the solution actually fixes the problem. Um, that was that was a lot of what I was I was kind of taking away from it. Um, and I think that that was kind of what you're getting at there a little bit, um, at least to, at least to some degree. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of my, my, my first big thought. Um, and I don't know if you want to give some thoughts on that before I throw in another piece of the puzzle, I guess. Uh, I, th I, th uh, I think you, you know, we're in agreement. So go ahead. Okay. So something we've talked about a lot is um, knowledge problems, I guess, in government and in society as a whole. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to make lazy points that are self-serving. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to like, I guess, think about how empathy plays into things. And uh, I, I mentioned this to you before this, but when we were trying to find um a video to talk about or a lecture or something like that. I watched this George Soros lecture. And when he was talking about the open society and capitalism and how they um, interact, which is just really interesting because it's George Soros of all people. But he was pointing out that there is a, um, a principal agent problem between representative governments and um, and the people they're supposed to serve. Right. So it's like, do, do, does the government do what do, do the people in government do what they do because um, they think it's the best thing to do or do they do it because it's what the people demand? And when I'm listening to Paul Bloom talk about these things, I'm hearing to some degree that mental heuristics and our emotional appeals make us desire things that aren't necessarily as good as they seem. So like when, when you see something that's just very moving in this like way that it strikes us it will seem disproportionately outsized in terms of our like emotional relationship to it. And um, to just put a little bit of like meat on the bones with that comment, um, a lot of people during this whole COVID policy the last two years um, will frame things if they're in favor of certain types of mandates as the economy against human lives, right? Um, but that framing doesn't really acknowledge that whenever the economy tanks, a lot of people end up dying either out of material reasons or out of the depression that the economic downturn caused them. So both these things have lives lost to some degree, but one of them is much more visible and has been pushed forward for, for like front and forward and like has been carefully, I guess, um, explained through media. And the other one is more of like, this also happens. This is a second order consequence. It's less, it's less obvious. And I almost think that the empathy part, leads to these second order consequences getting downplayed. It's not as obvious. It's not in the front of your mind. It doesn't have this outsized proportion when we think about issues. So if the people have those public perceptions and then you have the elected representatives with their real goal is to get reelected, then they're not really going to do the policy that fixes the problem. They're going to do the policy that the people are asking for. So when people are thinking, 
like for example, like the I, I know student loans were in the news this morning, so maybe I'll just use that as an example. People have really high student loans and that's bad. The people call for something that is very obvious a lot of times because it's like if you put forward a message and it's like these people are struggling, cancel their student loans. It's like, okay, but if canceling their student loans has these other consequences that lead to other people being like massively, deeply screwed over. And I'm not just talking about rich people, like normal people can get screwed over by second and third over consequences. We're not thinking about them because we're thinking about the first person that made us call to action in the first place, right? That's the, that's what brought the issue in the forefront. And that's what we're thinking about when we think of the solution, not the outgrowths. So I guess what I'm getting at is, I'm not, I don't think this is that novel, but this might be one of the drivers of like first level thinking and not shifting into second and third order types of thinking. Um, and I think that's worth identifying. So yeah, I'll, I'll share the floor. Well, I mean, I know we've talked about Jonathan Heights before, but this is sort of why he talks about like the, the um, connection between someone's personality and someone's um, uh, uh, politics. So, you know, the, the idea that um, uh, 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 <laughs> there might be a link between, you know, people on, on the autism spectrum and libertarianism or the, the idea that, like there might be a connection between um, uh, a woman, w women or being more feminine and being more uh, uh, liberal because liberals might be more agreeable, whereas like libertarians or, or people on the autism spectrum might be a little less agreeable. So they're, you know, and libertarians are generally a little less agreeable. Um, so that is just a, a, an inevitable thing you have to consider with politics. I mean, and that's why politicians that's why they're all about giving those good speeches, right? They're about they're, they're about uh, uh, swaying the crowd through their, not necessarily through their logical arguments, but through catchy, you know, catchy slogans and, and through emotional appeals um, because people are not, I mean, I, I come back to this all the time to probably to the point of being a broken record, but um, people are not inherently rational. Like we, we operate on pretty irrational bases um, and only on a, a, only I think if we're very careful and, and also partly trained, um, can we be more, uh, can we use that higher level thinking? Um, you know, the world's complex. <laughs> Life is complicated, <laughs> uh, if you didn't know. And so it can be very easy just to use these mental heuristics um, to get through life because... You know, I got to pick up the kids at five and, you know, Sally's got dance class at seven and got to get a Valentine for the wife or whatever. You know, there's all these problems. I'm having trouble with the boss at work. There's all these problems. And so, um, uh, 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 and, and I mean, and you notice this um, with uh, if someone's not an expert in something, you know, then the opinions they have on that topic are probably going to be based on some heuristic um, it, it, you know, if, if they're more familiar with the subject, then they could give you more, th then that's when the higher level thinking, um, kicks in. Um, this isn't, this isn't even really a pro like something I see as a problem. I just sort of, or, or it's not necessarily a solvable problem. It's just the way people operate. They operate with their emotions first and foremost. Um, well, 
I think what I would get at though is like when we think about like knowledge and decisions, we want people making better decisions when they matter, right? Like if if we're gonna make if like society, you know, if the government decides to do something that is like in grand scope, even though people are fallible, you'd hope that the government's decision, if it's like you know like a trillion dollar expense, you'd hope that it was like well thought through in a very deep way. So even though we know that people are often victims to mental heuristics, it is worth noting what triggers them, right? Or like what are signs of them? And I think why this topic strikes me so much is um, I, I recently, I didn't delete my Twitter or anything, but I took it off my phone for a couple of days because if you ever want to, um, you know, see things that will bother you, regardless of if you're like a leftist or a libertarian, doesn't really matter. Um, you just got to find the circles of people you disagree with. And you'll notice that people on Twitter, regardless of policy agenda, talk in non sequiturs all the time where they'll say things that don't follow from the evidence. But it sounds good. And it's usually like pointing to things that are almost symbolic. Right. So I, I, I guess the another this kind of transitions into a similar thought is when we talk about things like if you think of like the narrative of like race in America, you think of people and you don't think of statistics because that's how the human brain works. You think about George Floyd, but you don't think of how many unarmed black men got killed by cops in the last year. I couldn't tell you. I've probably heard the stat like a dozen times. I couldn't tell you. When we think of that things in history, we attach people to events and we think of the landmark events. But we don't think of the trends and we don't think of the ways that like people actually work. We kind of trust that the way we're weighting it is representative. And I think that's okay for things that aren't that important in our day-to-day -day life, right? So like it doesn't concern me if you use a heuristic to like generally know the price of uh, bread that you're going to buy at the store. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's not overpriced. I'll buy it. Like if you weight something in a vague way based on like shorthand in your brain, like that's cool. But when it's like when you're talking about how societies are led by groups of people and then you start seeing these ways, it's like, well, you're incentivizing people to respect the wishes of these people, but these people don't necessarily have good knowledge, right? They might be making these prejudiced decisions based on like non sequiturs and like heavy empathy into political and cultural symbols. Then that's kind of concerning to me, I guess. And that's why I thought this is kind of an alarming way of looking at things um at least in terms of like it it makes sense though to me like i feel like this is what i am seeing um so and i don't know if it's inevitable or not too that's the other thing i'd get at and i think that's kind of what you were getting at so maybe that that's a good spot to let you jump in i mean i guess you remind me like I guess we could think about this in in two ways. Um, when I'm, I guess if I'm thinking about my the elected leader, our elected leaders and their mental heuristics, because on the one hand, you could say, well, everyone operates at some level on mental heuristics, so obviously our elected leaders will operate in the same way because they're just like us. Um, but if you want to like, if you're Plato and like looking for like the philosopher king, then you're looking for the person who's like, okay, who's the most rational guy in the room, put him in charge or, or who's the, who, who are the most rational people in the room, put them in charge. And, um, you know, they will, uh, operate, you know, at a second or third, uh, uh on those second and third tiers of thinking, um, that, uh, uh, uh and, and will therefore, 
um, not pass bad policy. Um, I don't really, again, I don't really have a solution to this problem. Um, I think, I think encouraging people to, um, um, think critically and to, uh, you know, and, and, and calling out the emotional arguments, the the emotional ways of arguing, like I did on the, you know, when I talked about, uh, uh, gun violence, um, I think it's, it's more a matter of, I guess, um, trying to, to change the level of conversation or, or trying to, um, change the rhetoric being used, um, I'm sorry. I guess not. Not a lot is really coming to my mind when you're saying these things. Um, so I, I think I might accidentally be making the case for lobbyists. So I, I almost um, think that the conclusion that I'm kind of drawing is if you have a large electorate of people. So we 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 are both cynical enough to where it's not controversial to say that one of the reasons why congressmen act the way they act is to get reelected by their constituents, right? So sure that they, they, they might enrich themselves on the side. Sure, they might do policy that people like. They really just need to make those people feel served if there's any like threat on their seat against their seat. So what, what, whether it means that means they're passing good policy or bad policy, that's kind of different. They, the people just need to feel served if they are, you know, they, 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 they need to feel represented, even if they're voting for their own doom or whatever. So I guess what I'm saying is the case for lobbying here is any view that is likely to be championed by enough people for it to be worth a congressman acknowledging. Right. Because it has to be like a large amount of the electorate for it to get broadened out to that, like widely public stance. It almost likely will be very. um I want to say like narrow, but broad. So it has to be like narrow in the sense that's on one issue, but it has to be broad in the sense that it's not very specific. It's not telling you how to get there. It's more saying, here's a problem and here's our blunt solution. I'm kind of saying that you have to hope that there are enough lobbyists to step in and say, we've actually thought about it really hard. Please copy our homework. Because when you have like a, a large group of people that are all petitioning and, and championing a certain policy, I don't think they usually have the right um, solution. They've just all identified the obvious problem and are upset enough about it to say something. But they don't necessarily understand things. And unfortunately, I'm making the case for almost like this is why elitists can be good. I don't think they actually do this in practice. But I think this is when you get to this is where hopefully lobbyists step in. And this is like that's their expertise. They can fix it. I mean, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, so I guess what comes to my mind is um, they, uh, I mean, if I'm a politician, what I have to do is, as you say, uh, if, if I'm maximizing my chance, chance of getting reelected, then um, I have to consider the, not just, you know, well, it depends, I guess it depends on where I'm being, you know, where I'm from or, or what position I'm trying to get or whatever, because like there, you know, I think there are people with very different mental heuristics. So the people who voted for Bernie Sanders probably have very different mental heuristics than, um, you know, a lot of the mainstream uh, uh, Democrats, right? But I don't see, you know, 
the mainstream Democrats just falling in line with the, the Bernie crowd and just passing all these policies just because they want to please the mental heuristics of, of, of um, Bernie supporters. Right. So the, 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 the because, uh, so, um, you know, the, the U S is, uh, a very, I mean, it's, it's been a very diverse country from the beginning. So it's always been about the, 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 the political, um, establishment has always been about consensus building. So it, it, they have to balance different mental, mental heuristics and they have to find a way to appeal to people with very different mental heuristics and sort of do, you know, a give and take. It's like, okay, I'll give this to this group or I'll give this to that group. Um, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's why the, you know, someone like Kyle Kalinske hates the Democratic Party so much because the Democratic Party is not willing to fight for every single thing that Mr. Kalinske, you know, believes that uh, the, the American people should have because they're, um, they're, they're, they're conscious enough of, um, I guess, the dangers that um, going too much in one direction politically would have to their ability to get um, elected. Um, and it's also like, I mean, I guess another thing that comes to mind is, um, uh, uh, another mental heuristic isn't even just about policy. It's about like how politicians want to present themselves or how, how, like it's about image. Right. So like, uh, you know, when, when the president, um, uh, when the president sweared in normally, right, they have their hand in their Bible, Right. So that, that's appealing to the religious crowd. Like this is a good, you know, I'm a good Christian uh, and I'm going to govern the country like a good Christian. Or it's like, um, you know, why would uh, why were the why was the liberal establishment so angry at times with Donald Trump? Not because necessarily of his policy, but because he was like changing people's image of the president, changing people's image of the politician. He wasn't like, you know, a. Uh, 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 he wasn't like Barack Obama in that he was very um, he wasn't very eloquent and he wasn't like very soft spoken and very polite. Um, so when it comes to mental heuristics, it goes far beyond policy. It goes to uh, pretty much it goes to like character, you know, uh, 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 a person's character, a person's um, 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 a person's moral code, how a person dresses. I mean, there's this all the kinds of things politicians think about when they're trying to get elected. Um, that they're, they're, they're trying to um, convince somebody of something by their dress, their speech, um, and their policy. Well, and yeah, and I, I like the way you brought up image because a lot of it is perception. And I think that's kind of like the big I issue of it all. So it's like when people complain about the Democrats being cowards because they don't um, go and force everybody to vote on Medicare for all. It's like, well, a lot of Democrats actually aren't in favor of Medicare for all. And it's like, why? Well, it's because in their district, the outsized Democratic uh, constituency in their district is more moderate. So they're not in favor of it. And it's like, yeah, you can take national polls and you can say, oh, this many people preferred on the national polls. But in like each district, that doesn't necessarily pan out. And those people want the image that gets them reelected, right? So the, so, and then the thing is, is you can have, well, this isn't to, I guess, intentionally ridicule that position of being for Medicare for all, because any, a lot of experts disagree with my positions, but a lot of experts disagree with Medicare for all, right? So there could be a lot of people champion Bernie Sanders and like a district that is more moderate, 
but that person could say that the you know the, the representative can say okay but the experts say it's not going to work and i have a lot of people who will get more mad at me if it doesn't work than that constituency will if i just don't do it right so it's like a cost benefit analysis but all of it is based off well, the average voting block that I'm most reliant on wants me to look like this, right? And, that, and the, 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 the distinction might be something as simple as I'd rather want more Obamacare or I want literally Medicare for all, right? One of those is more moderate compared to the other one, at least in the perception of certain types of Democrats. And like all that is driven off, this is the image that this guy wants to push. Um, and why is that? Well, maybe it could be formed off all sorts of things. It depends on the region and how did those views come about because most of these voters aren't reading tons of books and it's like well a lot of it's based on messaging and how is messaging driven and that that's like the the, the under the, un, the the lower level of what we're talking about is empathy can be like i don't want to say manipulated in a malicious way but all of us have our own sympathies like you know you and i watched uh we, we, we've watched a couple of movies that we talked about on the show and both of us were more empathetic and related to different characters. Right. But when you hear about ad campaigns on certain issues, when people run for office, they're targeting different types of people, like for Republicans and Democrats in certain districts, people have different sympathies and they're targeted and they're curated. Right. And you brought, you bring up Chomsky a lot and in manufacturing consent, like there's a lot about targeting certain types of public opinion and the thing that's concerning is thinking about empathy and how it plays a role makes governments feel vulnerable, if that makes sense. Um, and we, we've talked about public opinion polling a lot and how I'm like very skeptical of it. And this is kind of why, because it's like, well, if a message is targeted in a certain way and it triggers people's empathy bones and they don't consider trade-offs, it's like, then they're in favor of something that they might not actually even really be in favor of if they're presented with the same issue in a different way. What does that mean? Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. That, that That's kind of the thing that muddies it so much to me in my brain. Well, this is why I was saying earlier, <clears throat> I, I hope this isn't too f uh, out of left field, but um I'm, I've become convinced that my mental heuristics are just so beyond the pale of American, uh, uh, of the um, acceptable uh, uh, public opinion in America that um, nothing, that hardly anything I, I, I would want from my elected leaders will ever get done. Um, it's not necessarily just them. I mean, it might be other problems uh, related to the size of the country as well, or the bureaucracy of, of, uh, certain institutions. Um, you know, I, I think I, I have the mental heuristic of someone who lives in, even though I'm an American, I have, I probably have more of the mental heuristic of someone who lives in Switzerland or Denmark or Sweden. Um, now you can criticize those countries. You can say those countries have bad, bad policy, yada, yada, but for, for whatever reason, you know, certain di different policies work in different countries. Right. Um, and that's partly be, partly because of the heuristic. I mean, obviously, it's partly because of some policies don't work and others do. Like there are material realities going on here, but it's also like values. Um, so, uh, 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 the someone might say the issue with a healthcare 
with a, a public, with a universal healthcare system in the U.S. is um, we have, we sort of have this, uh, 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 Americans generally like, if I may put out a generalization, um, they, 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 they emphasize personal responsibility. They emphasize, you know, you're going to eat a Big Mac and smoke uh, Marble Reds and, uh, you know, drink beer all day. Well, then if you die of a heart attack at 35, that's your problem, you know, too bad. <laughs> um, there are other countries that um, don't have this idea that your health is your personal responsibility. And they have this more, this more of this idea that the, the health, health is the responsibility of, it's a communal responsibility. Um, and, but also I think like those countries that have more of a communal responsibility in terms of health probably also lead healthier lives than Americans. Right. Um, I mean, so I think if I, I think in the near future, like I'm going to be a bit more, um, like when I think about, I guess, what policies I'm going to I'm support, I think I'm going to consider, I guess, whatever dominating heuristic I think exists in this um, cu country and um, kind of maybe argue for it on that basis. So let me give you an example. Um, the The idea of public option, of a public option in a healthcare system, uh, 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 not um, not mandating, not saying the government you have to take government health care, but saying the government can offer you health care if you so choose. Um, I actually think, and this isn't popular among you know progressives. Um, I think it was um, uh, uh, oh I forget. Well, there were a couple presidential candidates in the Democratic primary that you know kind of came uh, uh, put forward this idea, and they were lambasted as as you know, sellouts. Um, but actually, I think that might be the best option for lefties um, because it it takes away the argument that the government is trying to take away your freedom because it's not forcing you. It's it's not saying you have to take, you have to accept this government-run healthcare. It's saying it's giving you the option. And if you don't want that healthcare, then don't get it then do it, get, do it in the private sector. Um, and I mean, actually, I think there's like a, there's a slightly like almost a, a cynical reason that I'm, I would almost support this because um, I was, uh, uh, I, I, and, 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 you know, full disclosure, I actually, this wasn't my idea. This was someone else's idea, but um, I've kind of adopted this idea as my own. I've stolen it. But um, I think along with this, along with this public option, you would have to sign up for it at a certain age, but say between 18 and 25. Um, but if you don't sign up for it at by that by 25, you don't get it for the rest of your life. Um, and actually, I think that might make people like uh, government-run healthcare even more um, when if uh, you know they don't sign up for it at that deadline. And a lot of young, a lot of young people, I don't think, would. And then they, you know, they're 60s and they have a bunch of health problems, and then you know, they can't afford the private sector healthcare, but I digress. Um, my, my point being that um, sometimes you do have to be uh, willing to give up something you want uh, in order to get uh, something done at all. You, 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 you can't be, you can't necessarily be ideologic, ideologically pure when you're fighting for policy. Um, 
insofar as that might cause you to be sidelined by people who are going to be more, who are more willing to give something up, who are more willing to be pragmatic. Um, and, you know, in the case of like healthcare, as I say, I think I'm more willing to be more pragmatic. Um, Kate, can I make an autistic point for real quick? I, I hope you don't mind. Um, I, I, I just want to clear up. Well, when I say the word heuristic at all, I, I think of, um, I mean, maybe, maybe this is me acting incorrectly, but when I took like AP psychology, however many years ago, and it's like a brain shortcut. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a processing function. So it doesn't, it's not like, I don't think people in foreign countries have different heuristics. They have different values given their circumstances or whatever, but their heuristics are all, the human brain heuristics are generally similar, right? So people like all have these empathy triggers, right? We have a shortcut that gets triggered when things hit, hit our empathy sensors. Um, people get triggered by different things, you know, that they'll be more and less empathetic to. But I, I, I think I would separate those from values a little bit. That was the only autistic qualification I felt the need to make. And it was almost just like, uh, I, I know a lot of people don't use the word heuristic in their normal dialogue. I use it a lot for no reason. Um, so I just want to clarify that. Um, so, uh, okay. So what you were saying on um, compromising values though, for policy at times, I think that ties in a lot um, to the, the, the broad theme. And the reason why is people get really triggered when somebody is like an allegedly a squish um, in terms of their representatives, right? But I think single payer healthcare is the Machiavellian tactic and you kind of got to that in the end there. I don't even think you need that. Um, I think the second like a single payer option exists, it pretty much triggers like a death spiral in the private markets because of giving that public option means that it'll be like subsidized healthcare, which means it's gonna be cheaper than the private healthcare for most people. So it's like, well, yeah, public option is inherently subsidized. Therefore it's gonna be inherently better for a lot of people. And then the private healthcare isn't subsidized, so it's going to cost more. So, like, if there's less people willing to take private insurance, it's going to end up not being as cost effective for those people. That's going to raise their premiums over the long term. So I think that's a good policy that people like you should champion already because it triggers a death spiral. Now, the issue with empathy is Bernie bros that don't know that get triggered when somebody might be in favor of single payer instead of going full hog, right? And it's like, well, that's kind of wrong because if you like, like, like Ben Shapiro has literally talked about what you're saying, like, he, he, but he's against it, right? He's literally said, here's how single pair would work. Here's why I'm scared of it, right? Because I think it sets up this incentive structure that works towards the left's favor in the long run. People who are more Machiavellian and weren't driven by like maybe a passionate route that was not policy oriented will get upset and they'll be like, I can't believe somebody's making this compromise. And to, to take it away from the left's framing, like in the, the healthcare example, this is a big issue in the infighting that you see in libertarian circles on Twitter. And it's just like an absolute cluster. And the reason why is because people will say something that on its uh, on level one, on the surface level, will appear as if it's potentially contradicting some sort of libertarian value. When in the long run, the point is to be in favor of freeing people. So I guess an example is, You'll see somebody explain a position on why they're in favor of maybe charter schools or school choice. And then you'll see people just respond with abolish the public schools. And it's like, obviously, I don't think public schools should exist. If anybody's listening to this and knows what I think, and I'm as an ANCAP that doesn't really think there's any valid government functions. Of course, I don't think any a government school should exist. But if somebody said, do you want the status quo 
Or do you want private school vouchers that will lower the power of public school over a long period of time that could get you to your destination eventually? It's like, hmm, why would I respond with abolish all schools and be unhappy? If somebody's going to work in my direction while nobody else is, even if it's like it will get you there in the long run, but not in the short run, I'd take it. But this is the problem that people have with, I guess, thinking about policy and thinking about things in a heavily passionate way. And this is why when we've talked about Machiavellianism and politics, it's like, that's why I think I have to be in favor of libertarians running as Republicans, because I think all the stuff that libertarians like that would trigger Republicans, you just have to kind of sneak in or you have to hope that the left takes care of that stuff. And then it's like, no, the, the real trends you have to push and like for libertarian goals are perceiving are perceived as right wing in the mainstream. So it's much better to blend in with them than to like accidentally support big government policy by talking about systemic racism. But recent libertarian presidential candidates use leftist talking points, but then they're like, oh yeah, government's also bad. And it's like, no, you're, you're going into the leftist talking points. And when a leftist hears that, they go, yes, that's why I'm going to vote for the Democrat. You, you can't satisfy these things that trigger their like shortcuts, their, their empathy, like the things they feel strongest about in terms of narrative, because those are going to get conflated with policies that aren't actually good. Your policies might fix that problem too, but people who are driven in this like heavy empathy way aren't going to get it. It's not going to be communicated right. But a lot of politics is communication errors. And I think those go hand in hand with the thinking errors we're talking about, or at least like poor, imprecise thinking errors, right? And they, and I know we're singling out the people in quotes a little bit this episode, because I'm kind of saying people are easily manipulated. But the experts could make better policy. I just don't think the incentive structure serves them to make good policy. It serves them to kind of work vaguely in a direction, maybe, that the people kind of want, and at least make them feel heard if possible. That seems to be the incentive structure. So, because even like, and I think a lefty should agree with that. I'm just, this is the last point. Um, in line with the recent Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, uh, giving the thumbs down to build back better. Why do he do that? Well, he did that because of the perception. People on the left genuinely think Build Back Better would be good for the economy. I disagree. The reason why Joe Manchin is voting no on it, though, isn't because he disagrees or agrees with it. He's making the choice based on the perception of the policy and what he believes his voters' perception is. That's all driven by like these like fundamentally like low information takes. And that's like not a great thing i guess so yeah sorry i I hope i didn't i don't know ramble too much there um well so uh i guess two things um one i think what i was trying to say earlier when i was using the word heuristic i guess i was saying different people or different cultures of different different heuristics maybe what i should have said was um people's heuristics can be pulled into different like like can can um the, the environment can cause people uh, to use their heuristics and end up in different and end up coming to different conclusions or end up behaving in different ways. So, you know, it, uh, we're, human brains, as far as I can, I mean, I assume are the same, you know, across cultures, but obviously people behave and think and feel in very different ways. Um, so that's sort of what I was trying to say is I think, uh, uh, um, American culture and say, you know, the culture of, of Switzerland, which is 
uh, a favorite country of mine. Um, I think it's not that they have different heuristics. You're right, but they, they, they their cultures um, kind of play with their, those mental heuristics differently, and therefore, um, you know, people think and act differently. Uh, 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 you know, between those uh, two countries um, and across the world. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, so I am, uh, as the, as no one says, a recovered liberal, um, that's, that is probably a term someone has used before, but, um, more, more conservatives, I think would say that, uh, but yeah, I was going to say that the, the main person I would associate that with, with is Dave Rubin, which is one of your favorite people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, I think it is fair to recognize that um, people uh, who consider themselves to be liberal or, or on the left are more uh, likely to make that uh, 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 empathy error. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, if I had to come up front with an explanation, I suppose it is just because the left is usually the one that advocates for more political change and, and more, more equality, more egalitarianism, more. Well, I, I could uh, jump uh, in and, and associate with right wingers, though, because the, the way that they pull people's uh, strings on like war and like certain types of nationalistic things that are like very about security or about like these are our heroes, the way they glorify them. I mean, maybe empathy in the terms of like feeling bad for people way isn't the right way of it. But like you definitely see rhetoric that is pushing that heavy emotional identify with these people, vote for these people. And it's like, or maybe we shouldn't invade that country again for no reason, you know, <laughs> and it like completely obscures the policy issue. So would you say then that um, so is the stereotype wrong or is it just incomplete that that conservatives are lack empathy and liberals have too much? I mean, it's it holds true because the welfare state is like the defining characteristic of American politics. But it, it, I, I just don't want people to think that like that Republicans aren't getting their strings pulled. And I think that's and I know you hate the blue pill, red pill dynamic. And the reason that I'm most bothered by it is a different reason than you is because I just like talk to Republicans all the time that think they're red pilled because they're not liberals. And then I'm like, oh, no, these people are very much in their like blue pilled world. They're just right wingers. Right. So I, I do think they are like manipulated or polled. It's just their empathy triggers are different. Right. Um, and I guess an example of this is it's easy to you can empathize with people like imagine any scenario with like three people and um, somebody could be like really annoying and you could empathize with the person that's being annoyed by them. Or you can em empathize with the annoying person because you feel bad for them because they don't even know that they're annoying. Right. So I guess, I guess that's the way I would say it's like one is maybe nice. One of them is maybe condescending, but in, there's different levels. Right. But they all hijack your brain. Well, I mean, I guess I would say then maybe the um, in terms of like a lot of social policy. So, uh, you know, welfare, abortion, gay marriage, uh, death penalty, et cetera. You know, these are the issues where the, the liberal brain the, 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 the could make uh, or, could, could, you know, th their positions come partly from empathy um and the conservative is more likely to say be tough on crime for example um but well, i guess i was i mean i bring all that up because i was thinking about um a gentleman who i know you're not a fan of which is the late john rawls um 
because I was thinking about like you know, um, I, I guess I, I was trying to th I was trying to think about like how much does empathy, uh, uh, how much does my politics come from empathy, um, and I think, I think it used to come a lot more from empathy than it does now. Um, I, I think I I was more operating on heuristics and feelings um when i was like a teenager <laughs> just debating politics and i didn't know what the heck i was talking about um but i guess i bring up john rawls because um everyone knows his famous like thought experiment about you know create a society where you don't know where you're gonna be born you don't know if you're gonna be uh rich or poor um or middle class um and what, what interested me about that was I think he was sort of in that moment with that thought experiment, he was trying to justify, I mean, he was using it to justify a welfare state, no, by, uh, you know, no question about that. Um, but he wasn't really using, he wasn't making, I don't think the empathy mistake in my opinion, because um, he wasn't saying, oh, you should, he wasn't even necessarily saying you should feel bad for the poor. He was like, appealing to people's self-interest he was like you don't want to be poor i don't want to be poor your grandma doesn't want to be poor so let's create or let's create a society where you know the poor people are taken care of right um so uh uh, uh in i don't know i've been i've been forced to like reevaluate i guess so, so some of my priors recently um and I think I probably do end up be, being like uh, a social democrat of sorts, but that's not cool. That's not based. That's not red pilled. Um, so I don't. Uh, 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 that's sort of like you know, uh, uh, boring to 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 espouse. Um, but that, that's sort of where like I guess my ideal. Um, if I get if I if I'm not like trying to theorize if i'm not trying to like you know just let my imagination go wild and and i guess pick out you know countries that i think are uh uh you know the best or the countries that i would want to live in the countries whose values i most share they would be social um social democratic countries um and i don't think i think you can make a case for social i think you can make a case for social democracy that is not uh, 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 based on this empathy mistake. I think you can make make these cases on practical, pragmatic uh, 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 grounds, just not um, it so happens in the United States. So, so, so there's two parts of that. I, I, I do like you bringing up Rawls, and I do think that it's relevant to kind of say like, well, it, he almost reminds me of the social contract theory for like the Constitution, because he's kind of saying like, given X, Y, and Z, every rational person would agree with this. So this is my theory. But I, I do think, I mean, he is saying, oh, imagine you could be that person, but like in the thought experiment, you literally could be that person. So he's kind of almost making the, he's pretty much amplifying empathy, I think, to the point where he's trying to make the empathy as real as possible because the thought experiment you can. Um, but that's why I think Rawls is so misguided. Because like the, the response to Rawls isn't usually 
on principle. I mean, you can, and I would make one on principle, but I think the more compelling arguments against RELs are arguments of, yeah, but let's look at the governments that institute these types of policies and let's see how much they actually fix given their costs. And are these actually like policies that are remotely effective? And the answer is usually for, for, for my observation, no. I'm sure some are more effective than others, so there can be squabbles there, but like we both live in the United States and we both watch a lot of poverty, even though there's like a large welfare state and some have worked better than others, but a lot of policies are bad. Um, and then that, that's why like, I would rather the argumentation be there. Like, do these policies work? Let's look at numbers, right? But people aren't interested in that for a couple of reasons. One of them is that it's hard. And the other reason is the moral adjudication questions are just easier and they feel more right. You're not like usually going to get stumped and then all of a sudden realize you're right. I, my, my, my moral intuitions do guide me to the opposite conclusion. Like that's much less likely to get flipped and people don't like losing in conversations if you frame it in a win-loss type way. Um, so I do think Rawls is like maximally weaponizing empathy with his points. But I think that's kind of like the whole reason why it's so bad because people read it and they're like, oh, he's being very logical about it. But it's like, yeah, because he's setting up the perfect framework to make you only care about empathy, right? To make his point like, oh, I could, I could literally be that person when I wake up. Oh God, now I actually do care. And it's like, he's just really forcing you into it. Um, so I, I think I disagree with you there, but I don't know if I, you disagree with that. But I think that's like the real trick of, of Rawls. Mm, I mean, I'm trying to make sure this this is a disagreement of semantics, but um, I, I think what what I like about that thought experiment, I guess, um, is the uh, well. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna repeat myself, but I'll, I'll try to add more to what I said. Um, I, I I think it is. I don't think it's based on emotion and I don't think an appeal to the welfare state or to a you know uh, 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 a more um, I don't think appeal to the welfare state has to be on emotional grounds or has to be on empathetic grounds I, I think it can be on um, you know uh, leaving people out in the cold to starve to death is not really good for um, the economy it's not really good for the community um, uh there is a way where um, the, there is a way you can argue, I think, for a lot of these policies, which um, is not um, about just. Uh, I, I'm stuttering here. I guess I'm sorry. I think I got the point across. And. Uh, and I, I want to broaden it out too, just a little bit, because it's not about like, oh, is this a good policy or not? It's also about like, I think what we're getting at here is almost realizing most of political discourse is framed. And, and you've talked about moralism a lot and why you kind of don't like it. But I would go even further. And when, when politics isn't about moralism, it's often non sequiturs that just like set off people's resonating narratives. So it's not even that it's like, oh, this is a moral judgment. It's almost like a lot of times when people say things, it like I, I guess what I'm trying to get across is most of the stuff I see scrolling across Twitter or even in news articles, because because people have this idea of social media like it's so much lower than like the news. 
the news is like a few paragraphs and a couple of citations that nobody ever reads. So it's like, even though the news has a couple of citations sometimes, sometimes it's just referencing other news articles that also don't have like hardcore in-depth information. It's just citing like a lot of experts that it's convenient to. A lot of the discourse, even in like the news, if you're a person who still thinks of the news like people did before Trump and then thought the news was on average more reliable, even the news isn't that high level of discourse that people are looking for. Um, so it's like, this is because we operate on this way that we care so much about how things are framed and how they're put forward. And it's like, who does this help? Does this help the people I care about or does it help me or does it help like a group I don't care about? And because of that lens, it's like whenever we hear that Joe Biden did something for the group of people you like, which if you're like a Democrat, it's like, oh, cool. This helps poor people. This helps the working class. And if you're a Republican, you're like, oh, this is good for business. And then they might associate business with the working class, but in an indirect way that is, you know, I don't want to straw man it. So it's like people think of it in those lenses of this is good for the group I like. And they don't think of, I wonder if that policy actually does what's intended to do. It's never about that. It's about like, who is this paying off? And it's never it's never really about it unless it's convenient to a narrative. That's what's so alarming. So I guess that takes it a step above empathy and I'm drawing it out to kind of most policy discussions, but it's weird that, oh, it's not weird. It makes sense that that's what we care about because that's the stuff that's easier, but it's unsettling might be a good word. Maybe that's why I'm getting so passionate as I kind of like walk through it, but it's just so, uh, also disappointing might be the right word for it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw in one more anecdote real quick. And I think I might have said this on air. I don't think I did. But like I, I talk about I'm a big fan of Nazim Nicholas Taleb all the time. He put out this big like paper about his why he thinks certain COVID restrictions are important. And that's not my view normally. And I'm like, oh, look, it's it's high level content that might push against my boundaries. And I sat there and I thought about it. And I was like, I could read this and it might be really hard to understand. I might have to actually read the citations and all this. And I'm like, or nobody's going to talk at this high level discussion. So why even bother? Nobody's going to know what I'm talking about if I bring up any of this information, because this is actually really substantive, probably. Even if I think it's wrong, it's really substantive. And it's almost like knowing that reading that would not help me engage with the world better because the world is so removed from that level of discussion was like a, a little bit of a black pill because it's like there's no reason to read that thing from Taleb. It's probably the closer to being right than a lot of people, but it doesn't matter because it's so above how we're communicating that it's out of place discussing with anybody. So I don't know if any of that resonates with you or to what extent, but that's, I guess, why I've been harping on the whole episode. Well, I mean, I guess I don't disagree with you, but I find it less alarming. <laughs> I don't necessarily find it alarming because that's sort of what I expect from people or that's sort of what I expect from politics. I mean, um, uh, 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 whatever, you know, Whatever kind of behavior you see in in, in everyday people, you're going to see in politicians. That's why it's so it's, it's always funny to me. I mean, I wasn't alive, say, when like the whole scandal between like Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky like was uh, uh, in effect. But you know, you see like uh, you know for, uh, clips from TV back then of people like going so crazy about a politician getting a blowjob in the White House, if I may say so, on a YouTube stream. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think to myself, yeah, that's actually what I would expect a president to do. Um, so and, and, and at the same time, it, it's, it's like um, a lot of what 
Okay, so I guess this is sort of the criticism of democracy, uh, or the, at least the criticism of how democracy works in the United States. But um, uh, a lot of uh, politicians don't necessarily have to give substantive ar arguments in order to get their get someone's vote. That's sort of what the point we've been talking about this whole episode. Um, and the, the the time for like the the very rational, very like uh, uh, nuanced empirical arguments. Like that happens behind closed doors. That happens, with, you know, with the you know people, uh, or that that happens, um, you know, uh, uh, not in the public sector or in the public sector. That doesn't happen in the public square. That that happens between you know the the president and his advisors, or you know, um, the 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 people in the, who run the Federal Reserve. Like they're the ones who are forced to. Um, uh, sort of get down to business and um, attempt to create policy that, you know, uh, works. It doesn't mean they're going to be successful. It doesn't even mean, or it doesn't mean you should support their policy, but it means uh, they have to, I guess this is sort of what like interests me is because um, we can like sit here and talk about how terrible the government is and how terrible this policy or that policy is. And many times the government does pass terrible policies um, but the government still standing, right? The government isn't, hasn't collapsed. We're, we're not, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, Blade Runner here. Um, so, um, and maybe this is just the nature of power. Like you have to like do things, you have to make changes and you're going to make mistakes, but you have to like try to make minor changes and you have to like sort of like walk a tightrope to where, you know, th things are mostly going to be okay, uh, even if, you know, this economic policy doesn't work or the social policy ends up backfiring. Um, there, it's not an, it's not like a zero sum game, if that's the right phrase. It's, it's not a matter of we do this and everything is going to collapse. It's a matter of, um, it, 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 you know, politicians have to, I mean, they're going to take their values into account. They're going to take their, and and their mental heuristics, as we said, but uh, they also have to contend with how much money can the government spend this year, <laughs> or, or th they have to contend with more of the material realities. Um, and so they, I guess, they find a way of um, uh, uh, manifesting, you know, their values through and and their donors' values through whatever material realities um, are presented to them. Um, and, you know, again, sometimes it works for them. Sometimes it works out for them. Sometimes it works out for the American people. Sometimes it doesn't work out for them. Sometimes it doesn't work out for the American people. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really surprise me or shock me or scare me because this is what I, I guess would expect. Like, like, like I, I, I know we're sort of, it, you know, people com sometimes compare the political climate in the U.S. to like living in the twilight zone or something. But it's and sure, life is kind of absurd, but it's sort of like the kind of absurdity which makes perfect sense if you think about it for like two seconds. Well, I, it's not that I don't think it does make sense. It's I, I think the reason why it's so I like to use the word alarming isn't because it's like a surprise thing, but it's because and I think this might be. I'm curious if this would be an ideological difference between leftists, right-wingers, and libertarians. But it might just be because of my root ideology that I treat government 
inherently as a very serious matter because I think it a lot of what they're doing, like to even garner any funds, I find so abhorrent. So the waste is much more, um, what's the word for it? It's much more appalling to me because I find it so illegitimate from the start, right? So it's one of those things that maybe it hits me harder because it's like, I don't, I don't buy into their existence at all. And I think even if they were doing good, they were, they're wrong. So the fact that they're doing something that I find like morally impermissible, and then I have seen the types of like waste that they've committed. Um, I'm already appalled, even if they haven't collapsed all of society with them. Right. So like, to me, when you say like, well, the, the, everything's still standing, it's kind of like, yes, but if you think of like the ranges of things they could do, it's like maybe the amount of things that would let them still standing. It's like anything that doesn't cause something deeply catastrophic, like in terms of like nuclear war, because we've had huge economic crashes that like like it destroys lives. Right. I'd put it at the hands of the government and it doesn't matter. Like the government still stands. So it's like, yes, they're robust. That doesn't it's not that's not a good thing or it's not a even impressive thing. And that that's. It is what it is. But I, yeah, so I think maybe that, that, that might just be the difference. Because if you're, I, I don't know. That's why I'm taking it very seriously in some degree. I mean, so to, to draw, uh, I guess, a parallel to the last episode, um, you know, with uh, the idea that um, things naturally tend towards stability in, in, a, in an in ecosystem. Um, but, and then the, as the evidence showing, no, in fact, nature tends towards instability so i guess i'm sort of i'm i'm raising the question of we're talking about you know mental heuristics and how that can lead to bad decision making um or that can just lead that can lead to bad policy um and you know how uh how we're not often run by the philosopher king and you know my argument against the philosopher king is most people aren't philosopher kings so uh, I, i think it's sort of silly to um, uh, uh, say, well, we just need a philosopher king, then it'll all be good. When that sort of uh, is assuming that most leaders are going to be that, or, or it's a, it's assuming that you have a, a large pool <laughs> to choose from, or, or or that you know how you're going to find this person. But but but, but point being, um, I think it is so. So it's interesting, I guess, to think about um, what leads to. Uh, uh, a society's stability um, and why can, you know, governments make bad decisions or commit atrocities and, but not collapse that, that, that that's sort of like, I think uh, an interesting thing to explore. Um, we, we can talk about people's ineptitude and, and people's bad decision-making, but um the, the there's still a reason that the U.S. government is the most powerful force in the world. Like like, so it, it's I, sort of like a question. So to, I, I, I'm I'm harping on this a bit, but I like uh, to um when you were on Keegan's podcast, um you guys were talking about uh, uh or you were you were criticizing the people who um are are are, are liable to attribute things to stupidity. Um, and you were got you guys were sort of saying like, well, no, you know, like it's it might actually in fact be that you should attribute it to malice um, or attribute it to to people who know what they're doing and they're doing bad, like knowingly, because it benefits them somehow. 
Um, so that's sort of what I'm asking. It's, it's, it's like a question of are politicians stupid or are they evil? Um, cause a lot of the times I actually think, I think you guys are probably right. It's, it's not that, uh, politicians are making bad decisions based on, on, uh, heuristics. Now the, the voters are often are making those types of decisions, but often the politicians and, and, uh, their donors are, um, they know what they want and they have the information and they, uh, and the, 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 you know the, they're going to do what they need to do for that reason. This is why Chomsky says that he always reads the business press because the business press, the businessmen, businessmen don't and businesswomen don't want to lie to themselves. Why would they lie to themselves? Yeah, that would be bad for business, right? Um, so it's a skin in the game problem. That's what I've been waiting to say. <laughs> it's all, it's all about skin in the game. So 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 if you're asking like. How do we minimize these types of errors, right? I, I'm kind of sidestepping the whole point of why is the U.S. government so robust and powerful? Because I feel like the answer is something multi-pronged that we don't have a good takeaway from if we we're going to evaluate that, and we could spend an hour doing that. So I don't actually think that would have an outsized role in this uh, part. But I think one one of the I don't want to say silver bullets, but the relevant thing we haven't talked about is how the way to make smarter decisions is when individuals have more on the line. So although uh, and I, I got to say this too, the philosopher king thing, you can't say like m most people are stupid, so I don't want a philosopher king because, you know, if there was a philosopher king, you'd have to think they'd get appointed in some way. And then if you think of like Bayesian type of reasoning, you likes it's not just like they pick a random person. There, there'd be some way to like hopefully get a smarter person if you're going to pick one. So it's like, OK, well, it's not going to just be a random person who might be like illiterate because there's some population. It's like, no, they're, they're going to pick some elitist. But the cool thing is if you pick a philosopher king to, to bring up the difference between social democracy and, you know, like totalitarianism or a king or something is the skin in the game problem is resolved to some extent. So the only skin in the game that a elected representative has is making sure their voters feel represented. That doesn't necessarily mean doing good for their society. If there's a king, the king is liable for making the people not want to overturn him if he is like fully, um, you know, in charge. Now, well, what that leads to, though, is if a king's not fully in charge and there's no mechanism to get rid of him other than like a violent coup, then a violent coup will happen. But that's how he has to protect his power is by trying to be a certain type of leader. He can only push people so far before they say this is unacceptable and revolt. Now, the issue that one of the reasons why I think the U.S. government's so robust is the disillusion of power. Right. So you have like Joe Manchin allegedly completely stopped the Build Back Better plan, but 50 Republicans also voted no against it. So that you can blame everything that happens on multiple parties at any given time. So who is ultimately liable? Well, to some extent, we're talking about the voters in a given district in this conversation because they're the people who like are the most like able to take action. But the only skin in the game an elected representative has is if they get reelected or not. I don't think that's very good for decision making. That's why I think the big concern is here. Now, if I was talking about, you know, you, you is a good example or me or the listener. If we were going to make a decision that involved us spending $5,000 because we're people who don't have an infinite amount of money, $5,000 is kind of a lot of money. So if you're making decisions like that, you tend to, you know, you might start with certain things triggered by lower brain thinking and certain types of snap judgments. But when push comes to shove, you need the results. That, that's why you trust the business people, right? It's because if their job's on the line based on certain business decisions, they need the outcomes tied to the results. In politics, your outcomes are not as tied to your results. You need it to not be catastrophic, and you need people to believe that you kind of tried to fix something, and it might be better than if you didn't do it. That's about it. 
in business, you have to show a profit, right? Or you have to show that you're on track for long-term profits. You have to show that your work has created the output desired. There is a leadership um, target goal mismatch here that is like fundamentally leads to worse thinking. So that's where I would start if I was going to say, okay, people think bad. What situations do they think better? Well, when they are liable in a way that isn't a bad way, if, if they're liable in a way that supports good thinking, that is tied to results, and those results are like non-random. I know a lot of things are random. So if somebody said like the president should be judged on the ec the economy when they are president, it's like, well, that's stupid because the president can only control so much and a lot of things have like lingering effects. So some would bleed into others. You need this type of like nuanced thinking. CEOs get it, right? Because CEOs have to get it. Um, government officials don't. That's why they kick the can down and then they, they grandstand, right? Like it, it seems that simple to me, I guess. Uh, I guess I'm not quite sure where, like how the trajectory of the conversation we want to go or the, the way we want the conversation to go. Um, I mean, I, I, I think you're right, I guess, to, then to say that, uh, you know, CEOs get it. And, uh, well, but I don't know if, see, I think, but it's often the CEOs and it's often the donors that are choosing the politicians. Um, so I guess when you say politicians don't get it, um, our choices are, are heavily curated, um, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 there's, there's a reason Bernie Sanders didn't have a chance. Um, so it's, I mean, either it's, it's either like, well, then the politicians are just, you know, stupid puppets or, uh, and it might be both or, um, the, the, the politicians, you know, are with the CEOs and the donors and are willing to do like they're, they're I, on I the can, same I team. Can explain this. And, and they, they, this. they want to do they they want to do what the CEOs and the donors uh, uh, want them to do. So like, I guess I think the, the problem goes beyond politicians, which is why like you know uh, uh, the, the the issues nowadays with politics. Um, and I keep bringing up um, you know and when I have conversations like this, I keep bringing up globalization. Um, because I think the, the, the issues we're facing are international rather than national. Um, but it, it seems national because, you know, our, the, 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 say I'm an American, obviously what American politicians do is most, uh, in my face and it affects me the most. So obviously it seems like they're, the uh, you know, it's their stupid decisions, but it's also the stupid decisions of this interconnected global network, uh, that just, you know, the, the one decision has ramifications that are hard to even comprehend. Um, so go ahead. Okay. So the, the thing that, the thing that squares the circle is you have to imagine it as the, as an incentive like system, right? So, so on the left-hand side, you have the politicians incentive system. And that's the one that I'm saying has a mismatch between a good output and getting reelected. And the things that go into this mismatch can be, Voters have bad opinions formed on things like empathy, but they can also be, I am liable to do what donors tell me, which is to overly fund my business. On the right-hand side, you have the business track and you have the CEO who loses his job if they don't turn a long-term profit. So it's like, yeah, the CEOs can be corrupt when they step into the political arena because they want to secure more money from the government because the government has a bad incentive structure. It's still the, the incentive structure that is misaligned is still the government's 
incentive structure. Even though the business comes into it and says, oh, hey, we can, you guys will give us money for a new football stadium because we ask for that and that's politically popular. Cool. Give us that money. Please take it from the voters and give it to us, even though we're rich. It's like that happens because the government's corrupted because the government has the, the, the tools and they have the incentive mismatch of the people they're reliable to. I mean, that, that, that they are liable to. The businesses are liable only in the sense that they need a good outcome because their stakeholders all need them to make money or make money in the long term. Right. So the system faults are all on that government end because they're liable to, say, donors and voters. So it's still that's the broken system that you're working with. The broken system isn't in the businesses. The businesses are just taking advantage that the government system is clearly open to be broken and, um, you know, messed up from all angles. So it's like, sure, the, the, gov the businesses are doing things that are like bad, but that's because they're taking advantage of a broken incentive structure. Like a lot of people take advantage of the broken incentive structure. I'm not trying to downplay it, but it's like that's what's going to happen when it's clearly so like distorted. That's how I square that circle. And yeah, that ties in on an international level too. I totally agree. And that's why the elites are, you know, maybe working together or whatnot. We can't tell because their structure is just that broken. But uh, I, I did want to mention, I know we got off topic and it's only because I, 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 I wasn't coming into this thinking skin in the game is important, but when you're explaining something, it just triggered that thought. Like this is how, this is one of the big solutions that I guess markets attempt to put forward in my opinion. And I, I couldn't go without saying that, but we don't need to go down this rabbit hole. And I know we're at like an hour 20. So um, I, I can let you get the last word in and I can shut my mouth. Um, well, so I'm, I'm sort of wondering like, how i mean we've been all over the place at the end of the conversation so i guess i'm gonna bring up you, you mentioned skin in the game with politicians versus philosopher kings it's just one quick point i guess i want to make um so the, the, this idea that philosopher or that the king would have a less skin in the game than the politician um or sorry sorry more skin in the, more, more, more skin in the game more skin in the game excuse me excuse me the the king has more skin in the game i'm not actually sure that that's the case. Um, and actually, I think, um, I mean, we're not going to get into monarchy versus democracy right now, but you just made me think, like, I think the reason I prefer democracies, even if they're representative democracies, even if it's not a small, um, you know, direct democracy, is because the politicians have more skin in the game, because I think a king can have more separation from his subjects. A king, because a because the king basically owns everything. The, the, the state is the king's property. The land, the country is the king's property. Um, the king, uh, 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 I mean, well, the, you know, the king is somewhat answerable, I suppose, to the nobles and, and to his advisors and whatnot, and to the people if they want to cut off his head at some point. Um, but the politicians are more, they have more skin in the game because they're just citizens like the rest of us. Now they can get extremely rich and, and they can become, you know, they can use the corrupt, uh, uh, you know, institutions and the bad incentive structures to benefit themselves. Um, but at the end of the day, they're um, more at our level than I think a king ever was um, back in, you know, the days of feudalism or whatever. Um, so I think I disagree with you uh, 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 there. Um, I I wish we'd planned on talking about Hoppe because maybe that's like the logical um, 
take off from what you just said, because when he wrote Democracy, the God that failed, which I haven't read, that's that's my grave injustice as a ANCAP libertarian. But I'm pretty sure he would have explained the same thing as you just said. But then he would have pointed out how, like, the king isn't just a citizen. He owns the, the region. He needs the region to prosper. Like, he's not just one person there with disillusion, like, who, who gets a little bit of the results. If his kingdom's failing, right, he doesn't get all the perks of being king as, as strong as weaker. So I, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a hop lecture we could find, and then maybe we can compare what you said, or maybe you can go through how you'd react to it. Because I think that is directly what he confronts is the incentive structure of um, something that I think we've called like a, uh, what's called like a fragmented oligarchy. Like that's to some degree what we have now. And maybe we could compare that to what an ideal social democracy would look like. And then maybe compare that to how Hoppe talks about like a one rule monarchy. I've called it a oligarchy with democratic tendencies. That that's because I don't think. I, again, we're sort of way off topic here, but but I I don't think it's fair. So I think some people have the tendency to say citizens have no ability to do anything in this country. To, to they have no ability to make change, and that's not quite true. But the the meet the the incentive structures are so much that. Uh, it's incredibly difficult. It is you're uh, you're fighting an uphill battle, and you are Sisyphus. And as soon as you put that push that rock down that one hill, you have another hill to go up to. So, uh, uh, but you know, it's weird that the there are still democratic elements in our society that that politicians aren't willing to do anything about. So that that that's sort of what interests me about the United States. That's what makes it such a weird country. Because it's not just a pure oligarchy. It should be 10 times worse, in my opinion. It should be, we should have far more, fewer freedoms, far more, far less power. Far, we should be far, you know, more destitute and, and, and uh, have single uh, payer health care and, 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 and enslaved than we are. Um, but we're not. So I'm giving some of my arguments away. I feel bad. Now I'm giving some of my arguments away for the future. Well, <laughs> I, I hope we can talk about that I'm, going to be participating in and uh but you got me well thinking, so. and, and it might be good to talk about hoppa because that might strongman the position of a monarchist because a lot of people i can imagine champion monarchy would make really poor points so maybe if you hear hoppa and you confront with hoppa in a way that leaves you satisfied you might realize that uh you feel better about that inevitable conversation that you have but I'm going to leave us with that because we got way off topic. I think I'm happy with what we covered. We covered a lot of things and it all started from the root of maybe our brains are wired in a, in a poor way. And what are the implications of it? And, you know, I, I might I, have worse. to change the title. I think I just titled it empathy and morality and politics. So I'll have to like change, come up yeah, with a more comprehensive to, title. Like not 9-11 was an inside job done by the Jews. That's what we should change it to. Um, that was probably the worst taste jokes we've actually, I've actually made on air for Beyond Talking. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, okay, so, so so we're done with that part for now. Um, you could find me on Twitter at Matthew T. Keck. I have some other content at the Obey podcast. You can find Matt here on Twitter, Matt Matthew Hazel, W-O, and then an eight. So it's like his name spelled on YouTube right there, but instead of the O-D at the end, there's an eight. So Matthew Hazel, whoa, eight. He also does the Philosopher's Guide to the Apocalypse, where he has put some recent conversations out that are very thought-provoking at a much higher level than when he talks to me, because I'm just a buffoon that gets very angry if anything is anti-individualistic. Um, so he can actually explore complex ideas with other people willing to entertain them. And I, I just like throwing it out there because we reference 
Keegan so much that we might as well direct people towards Keegan's podcast, the Nietzsche podcast. And he's had both of us on there to have wonderful Keegan's watching right now, actually. He's a... Uh... He types oh, I shouldn't. He types messages in the chat, so he's he's probably listening to us talk about him oh. this very second. Well, for the record, I can't see that on my end of whatever how we're we're in that. I wouldn't have said anything good about him if he was here. If I he, knew he, he was he, here, he said Keck thinks being made to feel empathy is akin to being attacked or assaulted. Libertarians, am I right? LOL. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I appreciate it. If he threw in a couple more anti-Semitic conversa- uh, comments, I'd fully endorse it. But the lack of anti-Semitism is very disheartening. Um, but on this on this note, I hope you guys appreciated the train wreck and sign off for now. Is Mad Matt? Thank you.